So those of you who have come anticipating the end of the book of Judges, I'm going to put you off one more week. When I was pointing forward to that, last week I had forgotten that today was Father's Day, and I don't always break off on Mother's Day or Father's Day or or things like that from what we're studying, but this year I've decided to do that. Last few weeks ago on Mother's Day, we looked at the Proverbs and saw there what the Scripture's expectation of a mother is, and I want to return there this morning and look at Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to do a bit of introduction here before we get to the fourth chapter, but I do want to spend the majority of our time in the fourth chapter of Proverbs. Speaking on the subject of fatherhood and the responsibility is a fearful subject. As I have prepared this week to speak on it, I've been reminded of my own failures and my own sin. And I want to be careful to point us to the scriptures. We've been given in the scriptures everything that pertains to life and godliness. And especially so here in this sphere of being a father. I want to say at the outset too. That it is not my desire at all to heap a heavy burden upon us as fathers or to set the bar so high that it seems unattainable. But I'm not going to stop short of setting forth the clear expectation and call of the scriptures before us as husbands and fathers. Lord willing, at the end of this, we will all be edified, encouraged, and greatly helped, even if that comes through tears and humble repentance before the Lord. Let me also say at the outset, I know not everyone in here is a father. Some are, some will be. The immediate application of some of these things is for these men who are fathers or will be soon. But all of us, every Christian in the room should benefit from the clear teaching of Scripture concerning the high calling of fatherhood. All of us should desire that this be the norm among us. We have pitiful examples given all around us in the world of what a father is, what a father is supposed to be. So as we look into the scriptures this morning, we should all benefit. The application, too, extends to mothers and children Because you will greatly benefit from fathers who take the word of God seriously. So really this is a sermon that has application for every one of us. All of us should hold those who are fathers around us to a biblical understanding. And we should glory in it. It shouldn't be something we shy away from. It will be something we fail in often. It will be something that we find ourselves over and over before the Lord, repenting in tears because of our failures. Finding again their grace from the Lord. He gives grace upon grace. And I know we're all thankful for that. I said this and I went back and copied, and copied it from my notes on 
on the Mother's Day sermon. I want to repeat it here, just a paragraph, because it's true in this area as well. There is scarcely a greater display of the adversary's sway over the world than in his agenda and ability to distort the beauty of God's creation for male and female. The image of God in creating male and female is beautiful. It's his design. And we need not be embarrassed of it. We need not fear to stand for it. Though the world around us may jeer and mock and call us antiquated and out of touch, so long as we are standing on the authority and foundation of the Word of God, we're in a good place. We need not fear. One of the sad realities of our day is that there are some within the professing church of the Lord Jesus Christ who think very much like the world regarding the issue of parenting, whether it be motherhood, fatherhood, even on the issue of family in general. God, help us to be different. God, help us to be different. This is a task that we approach humbly, one in which we can only ask for grace and help in this great time of need. That is the way that Christ opened for us to access the Father, to find grace and help in a time of need. And as we look at some of the expectations of Christian fathers, we can only be brought to this point that we are needing much help and much grace. Here's the tendency. The tendency even for a Christian father is to check out and hope for the best. Just to check out and hope that in the end all will be well. Sometimes all does end well. That's to the glory and praise of God. Sometimes things do not just end well on their own. Our presence at home is not enough. It's a great starting point, but it's not enough. Some of you, I realize, read the King James Bible. In this 13th verse of 1 Corinthians 16, I love the translation there in the King James. Paul is calling for the Corinthians to make application of all the great truths that he has laid down in, in that book, calling them to live out the faith. And he says this in the 13th verse, Quit ye like men. We don't speak that way much anymore. All of the more modern translations, including the New King James, New American Standard and ESV, render that word to act like men. And the New King James is even a little more obscure than that when it says, Be brave. And so I want to borrow those words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13 from the King James and extend it to all of us this morning in this realm of fatherhood. Quit ye like men. Show yourselves strong. Be brave. Approach this subject knowing that God is on your side in it. It's a daunting task. But it's one that 
we have great help. And before we begin, I think it's, it's helpful for us to apply the biblical principle of sowing and reaping here. That principle applies itself to so many things in the Christian life, and especially here. Should we expect to reap a harvest of godliness in our families, in our own lives, where godliness is not being sown? The, ex- the answer to that question is, we shouldn't. The biblical principle, again, is you will reap what you sow. Now, thankfully, the Lord very often intervenes with grace. Very often takes our shortcomings and failures and overrides them. And thank God for it. But that doesn't give us excuse to not be obedient to the Scriptures. What we're going to read this morning comes down very often to will I be obedient to the Scriptures or not? Will I do what the Lord expects of me or will I not? I'm reminded as I give you this compilation of verses before we settle down in Proverbs 4 of what we've recently seen in Judges chapter 13 and verse 8. And you remember Samson. We dealt with Samson for three weeks. His father Manoah, when his wife came and said, the angel of God appeared to me and said that we are going to have a child. Manoah says this in the eighth verse of Judges 13. And I think it's really a verse that all of us can relate to. He says, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again to teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. You ever felt like that? Lord, what do I do with this child or children that you have given me? Thankfully, the scriptures do not leave us sitting in the dark. We are not lacking instruction. Listen to these verses which tell us as fathers what we are to do. Psalm 3411 is a psalm of David. It's unique in that it is a psalm that we have the specific setting for which it was written. It says, if you read in the, in the preliminaries to the psalm, that David wrote this psalm as he was pretending madness before Abimelech. And you remember that whole situation in the Old Testament that fascinates us as we read it. But in that psalm, David says, Come, you children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That, in a short sentence, really encapsulates the job description of a parent and particularly of a father to teach the fear of the Lord. Notice it was not beneath this great king, the greatest of kings. It was not beneath this warrior and even the greatest of warrior. It was of David that the people sang. He had slain his tens of thousands. It was not beneath him to address children, whether or not he was addressing his own. Draw and and compel them to come to himself and say, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He didn't say, I will teach you how to slay a giant with a sling and a stone. 
He didn't say, I will teach you how to rule with might and wisdom over a kingdom. But what he did say is, I will teach you to fear or the fear of the Lord. This is one of the greatest things that we can do for the next generation is to teach them to live in the fear of God. And I realize that has many broad and far-reaching applications, but to teach them to live in the fear of God, that God is, and He is the creator of all things. He is actively involved in His creation. And that He sees everything. He hears everything. He is a God of mercy and grace, but yet He is also a God of justice and judgment. And there is a coming day in which He will carry out that justice upon everyone who has not come to faith in Christ. All of these things and so many more are what it means to live in the fear of God. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. We don't have to get far into the wisdom book of the Scriptures, the Proverbs, to hear the call of the Father, my son, hear the instruction of your Father. This was so assumed, even in Paul's day, fast forward throughout many centuries, in the time of the Jews, it was still assumed by Paul so much that he could use this as a way of illustration in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, when he says, you are witnesses of, of us and of God, how devoutly, justly, and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. You know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, even as a father does his own children. And what did the exhortation, comfort, and charge of the father to the child tend, lend toward? Well, this is how he finishes that thought, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So part of teaching the next generation to walk in the fear of the Lord is to walk worthy of the God who has called you into his kingdom and his glory. But then we have very specific words from Paul again, both in Ephesians and the smaller companion letter to the Colossians. Ephesians 6.4, specifically speaking to the fathers, he says, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The same thing said a little differently to the Colossians in the third chapter, 21st verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The provoking that Paul is speaking about here is not the provoking of playfulness. And what I mean by that is Sometimes, as a father, I've been guilty of this. You may be playing with your children, and you go a little bit too far, and you provoke them to respond to you out of anger or something like that. That's not what Paul has in mind here at all. Now, that's bad, mind you. We shouldn't do that. But what Paul has in mind here is something far different. The provoking that he has in mind here is to provoke your children to wrath, not to act out in wrath, but to experience the wrath of God. 
by not having raised them in the fear or nurture and admonition of the Lord, what we do in essence is to make them eternal objects of the wrath of God. I'm not discounting the intervening work of grace at all. But I'm also not denying the responsibility that we have. Here are the assumptions of all of these verses that I've mentioned so far. Assumption number one. A father having received Christ and having begun to be taught of the Lord is charged to speak of these things to his children. And in that we see that a father's role is multifaceted. We read the scriptures where it calls us to exhort, comfort, and charge. But yet we also see here that a child is a depository of sorts. And this child will be filled either with the truth of God or the lies of the devil. Now we can't ensure that our children will accept the things of God. We just can't. As much as I would like to stand here and say, if you follow these steps, one, two, three, all is going to turn out in the end. I just can't say that. But what I will say is that if we follow the biblical commands and seek with all of our heart and soul to be obedient to them, very often the Lord is pleased to bless those efforts. A child is a depository. What are you filling him or her with? Or what are you allowing someone else to fill them with? God has provided the most suitable environment to fill a child's heart and mind. And that most suitable environment is the parent-child relationship. You recognize what a beautiful thing that is? The parent-child relationship is unlike any other relationship. This is the perfect, most suitable environment for a child's instruction in the things of God. A Christian worldview, and a Christian worldview can be defined as the all-encompassing fear of the Lord, must be taught. It will not be caught. We speak in those terms, I realize. Realistically, though, nothing is caught. Everything is taught. What we assume is caught is really intentionally being taught by a culture hostile to Christ and the Word of God. Can we just agree with that? No one else is going to teach our children the things of God. Now we can delegate these things and have help with our wives, with the sound local church, with other friends. I'm not saying this responsibility is ours solely, but it does begin here. So I want to finally make it to the fourth chapter of Proverbs and look at some things. I'd, I would like to go through this whole chapter, but obviously time is not going to permit it. I just want to bring out a few things. 
make a few applications at the end, pray for a lot of grace and help as we close. So if you found the fourth chapter, I want to read the first four verses. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for clear instruction. Give us a heart and a mind to hear it. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Before I look at what this says to the Father, I want to speak a word to the children. This is the first point that I want to make. There is a part here that you play. There is a part here that you must be be party to. Look at it in verse 1. Hear, my children, give attention. Do not forsake in the second verse. Retain my words in the fourth verse. And if we were to read the whole chapter, there are many other exhortations that are given to those who are hearing the things that the father or even the mother in this chapter is saying to the children. My point here is that you must settle in your heart and mind whether or not you will hear and give attention to these things or if you will completely and utterly forsake them. Here here is the Father's part. If you're looking in verse 1, He is the instructor, the instruction of a father. He is the one that is making understanding known. He is the one giving good doctrine. He is the one speaking things which accord to the law of God. He is the one in verse 4 who is teaching and saying to the children, let your heart retain my words. Let me give you these words by Charles Bridges concerning this good doctrine that is spoken by the Father here in Proverbs 4. That which humbles the soul before God, that which exhibits the free grace of the gospel, which which melts the will, consecrates the heart, imbues with the spirit of the cross, however unpalatable to the flesh, is alone good doctrine for the soul. And let me just say this, all good doctrine is unpalatable to the flesh. That's because the flesh lusts after the things of the world. And when we hear things that accord with the scriptures, then it is unpalatable, it doesn't taste, it doesn't sound good. It's not something we want to be submissive to. But I also want to continue with this 
quote of Charles Bridges because he speaks to the heart of the father or the one who is instructing. He says, this is not the style of a cold pleader. In other words, this is not someone stone-faced just laying down the law. If that's what we see here, then we have, have missed the point. He says, rather, it is the father feeling that his child's soul is perishing unless it be taught and led in wisdom's way. Let me remind us all of this reality. We all come into this world as haters of God. We live that out in varying degrees. We all come into this world having fallen into sin in Adam and needing to be remade in the image of God. Every one of us. Each one of our children. The easy ones and the difficult ones are all made this way. And again, I, can't, I don't think I can emphasize this enough and please I want you to hear it. I want us to bear our responsibility, but I don't want us to be crushed under it. It's crushing to hear and to have someone tell you that you are solely responsible for whether or not your child comes to faith. That is not true. You are not solely responsible. But you can be greatly used of God in the determinate outcome. Lord willing for the better. So here's what a father's instruction promotes. And I want you to see this out of the fifth verse, or excuse me, the end of the fourth verse, when he says, keep my commands and live. How contrary to this is worldly thinking. Worldly thinking says, if you keep your godly father or mother's commands, you will not live at all. You will be hindered at every turn. There will be no fun in life. Life will devolve into a list of do's and don'ts. And it's in all of those do's and don'ts that all joy of life is gone. But notice, biblically speaking, the Father says, Keep my commands and live. And I think we understand this word live here in a couple of different ways. First of all, to really live and get the most out of life. You read this fourth chapter. It speaks of long life. It speaks of a happy life. It speaks of the path of the just is like the shining of the sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. This, in other words, is the best way to live. But yet it also speaks to another type of life, and I think life eternal. Real spiritual life. Keep my commands and live. This seems to be the tenor of the entire chapter. Real life is lived out in the fear of the Lord. Keep my commands and live. What's the implication? The implication is so long as the father's words or the mother's words or whomever is teaching you, so long as those words accord with the words of Scripture and they are filled with grace and they are full of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are obedient to those, expect to live a fruitful, happy life and life eternal. 
It doesn't mean it will be devoid of trouble. It doesn't mean it will be devoid of trial and suffering and tribulation. But it will be a joyful life in the midst and in the face of all of those things because in it you have the Spirit of God helping you, teaching you, instructing you, coming alongside of you. But the contrary is also true. If the the one instructing, if his words or her words are full of grace and are representative of the gospel, and you choose to reject them, then what's the implication? No life. Oh, don't be deceived. This is where Satan would completely pull the wool over your eyes and tell you that this is the best life. But let me say, it's a life that in the end has grave, grave consequences. And if this is your life that you're choosing for yourself, have all the fun you can have now because there will be a day when it comes to an end. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day when you are called to account for your actions. There will be a day when you stand before the bar or the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ and have to give an account and a reckoning for every word much less every action that you have done. One of the prophets in the Old Testament asked the question, why would you die? Why would you die? Why would you choose death for yourself? Why would you reject all of the goodness of God when He has given it to you in the gospel of His Son? Why would you choose differently for this momentary passing pleasure that this world has to offer? Let me encourage those who have made that choice. Look at others who have made the same choice. Fast forward down through the years and see the end of their life. Very often it ends in complete and utter misery and aloneness. I know some some sad reality of that in my own life. People that I know who in their younger days really lived it up but are now living in this world, sadly, alone. Having burnt bridges of every relationship that the Lord graciously put in their path. It's a lie of the devil to believe that life is best lived outside and apart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please hear it. So the Father's words promote life. Keep my commands and live. But secondly, a Father's instruction is a call to wisdom. Verse 5, get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. He's still speaking of wisdom here. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And here, obviously, the context is biblical wisdom. If you were to skip over to the ninth chapter, a verse that's well known, the tenth verse of chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the beginning of wisdom when you come underneath the fear of the Lord. I realize verse 8 of chapter 1 says something very similar. My son, hear the instruction. 
of your father and do not forsake her. There, excuse me, it's verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Both come to play and have their beginning in the fear of God, both knowledge and wisdom. So back in the fourth chapter, the call of the Father is to get wisdom. It's the principal thing. Set it before you. In all of your getting, get understanding. If you exalt her, she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her and place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Go in search of wisdom. Where do you find it? In the scriptures. It's the beginning of the fear of God. But not only does a father's instruction promote life, not only is it a call to pursue wisdom, it is also instruction to avoid the way of the wicked. Look at verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it and do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Why? For they do not sleep unless they have done evil and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The wick, look at verse 19. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Right in the middle of those verses, we find verse 18, which says, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. If you want to live, and really live, and live forever, have eternal life, then heed the things that are said here in this fourth chapter. If we fast forward just a bit, we'll see that a father's instruction is not only the promotion of life and a call to wisdom and instruction to avoid the way of evil, it is instruction to keep your heart the heart being the seat of your emotion. Some would equate it to your very soul. The 23rd verse says, Keep your heart with all diligence, or some translations say vigilance. The reason being is out of it spring the issues of life. Guard your heart. Put a fence or a hedge around it. And pray to God that nothing penetrates that hedge that would be to your destruction. Keep it with all diligence. Diligence. Don't let your guard down. If you would have life and have life abundantly and have even eternal life, then you will be about this business of guarding your heart. And notice... All of these are given to us in the context that these are encouragements that the father gives to a child. These are exhortations. This is that which accords with the good doctrine in the second verse. 
Now I want to move just a bit and talk about, try to give an answer to this question. We see it in Scripture. We read all of those verses, some Old Testament, some New Testament. We've seen several exhortations here in the fourth chapter of Proverbs. Now the question is how? How do I do it? I want to do it. I just don't know how to go about it. I don't know how to start it. Well, the Scriptures aren't silent on that either. The first and perhaps the best way is in everyday life, teach your children the things of God. What do I mean by that? You're familiar with the seventh verse of Deuteronomy 6, which says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. I think that's the Scripture's way of saying that there should be continuity in your life. There should be no dichotomy of our, quote, religious and church life and then our other or real life. The things that are spoken of in everyday life, doing everyday things, day after day, should accord with the good doctrine of Proverbs 4.2. But then there are also not just the everyday opportunities. There are particular opportunities that we can take advantage of as well. First, the lost art of family worship. The lost art of family worship. This can be really simple. You don't have to have an order of service. You don't have to, to be the greatest singer The only thing that is necessitated by family worship for you as a father or a mother or together parenting is to open your Bible and read it. It's that simple. That's where it begins. I realize just the phrase family worship is daunting. It's off-putting to some people. But yet when we realize it's nothing more than a continuity of life, son, daughter, we don't just go to church and carry our Bible. Our Bible dictates every step of life. We, we live in it every day, not just on Sunday or the Lord's Day. It breeds familiarity that this is real to me. This is not just something that I I carry in my hand when I go to church, but this is real. So real that I want you to hear it often, very often. And this is proof that it is real, that we will take the time and open it in our homes and read from it. That's why I, I, I recommended this to you. This is a tremendous tool, and I've only recently come across it myself, but it is it is. Absolutely, one of the greatest helps that I've had as a Christian father. You don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to exegete the scriptures. You don't have to have one, two, three points with all of these applications and illustrations. It's very simple. Open it and read it and then have help to make a short explanation. Every one of us can do that. Every one of us can do that. 
So in the particular settings, first is to take opportunity in your own home. Second, there should be for each Christian father a non-negotiable association with the local church. Fathers, we hamstring ourselves in these efforts by not taking full advantage of the local church. And I realize I'm, I'm walking into to ground that will get the reply of, oh, you're a legalist. Label me that if you will. But let me hold forth the scriptures to you when I make this statement. And I make it only because it accords with the biblical expectation placed upon the Christian individual or the Christian's family. The Lord's day should dominate your calendar. It just should. What do I mean by that? Nothing should be so important that you would regularly and habitually not be in attendance on the Lord's day. And again, I've heard the accusations before, and I can hear them again, that that's legalistic. Perhaps it's helpful to remind ourselves of chapter and verse. That's always a good, a good course, right? When we make a statement, we want to be able to back it up with chapter and verse out of the Bible. But let me point out a few words that I said there, regularly and habitually. I realize that there will be moments where you are providentially hindered from being in the Lord's Day meeting of the church. Your ox will fall into a ditch. The scriptures recognize that. And you got to go pull him out, whatever that represents. I realize that on occasion, the Lord will make such great provision for you that you will have opportunity to take your family on vacation. Do it. It's good, helpful. So don't hear me say things that I'm, I'm not saying. What I am saying is that if, if things regularly and habitually take you out of the Lord's Day meeting of the church, check your priorities. The weight of the scripture resides on that side of the argument. Verses like in Hebrews, where we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So we have, what does this do in the life of a child? Again, it reiterates the fact, this is important to me as your parent. This is a non-negotiable for me. If I'm well and my ox is not in the ditch and we're not vacationing somewhere or some other providence has hindered it, we will be in the Lord's Day meeting of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God helping us. So how else do I do it? Well, thankfully we can delegate. And here we begin to have some of that responsibility make its way out and spread out. Our wives are tremendous helps. The church is tremendous help. Other faithful families, other friends are tremendous helps in these things. Take advantage of them. And then... 
How do I do it? Well, with great dependence on the Lord. This is another principle that seems to come off the pages of Scripture to us. When the Lord makes a clear or gives a clear expectation that is hard for us and really impossible for us in our own strength, then we can expect the help of the Lord. His strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, there is an oft-quoted and variously applied maxim sometimes in, in when we begin to make application of certain things and we begin to question certain actions that we have done ourselves in the past or whatever. And the maxim is this, God very often hits a straight lick with a crooked stick. Have you ever heard that? Aren't you thankful for that? He can hit definitely a straight lick with a crooked stick. He takes our bumbled, fumbled efforts, our sin and our failures, and hits with it a straight lick. But the opposite is also true. If we are not operating in dependence upon God, if all we have are the one, two, threes and ABCs and strict adherence to them and we're not depending upon the Spirit of God helping us, then the opposite of true when we say we can hit a crooked lick with a straight stick. We cannot dismiss the help of the Spirit of God from this equation. And I want to conclude the same way I concluded on Mother's Day. The question is always pressed, and it always comes forward. It's a fair and honest question that needs a fair and honest answer. What if? What if there is no father, or the father just simply will not step up to the plate? Thankfully, the church is full of fathers. And what I mean by that, the church is full of men who understand their responsibility. And if you find yourself answering that question, what if, and there is real reason for you to be asking it, help is available. Help is available. That's the beauty of Christ's church. He has given gifts to men. We find in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ what we will not find anywhere else. Others who are striving to walk the same narrow path, who find the going difficult, who find it rough, who find places where it seems impossible, then what do we do? We come alongside one another. We link arms. All of those one another passages in the scripture. And we press on. We press on. We press on till the Lord comes. And then we remind ourselves at the end of all of this that He is coming. He's coming. And we're looking forward to that day. So, Lord, help us. Again, my intent is not to heap a heavy burden, but to clearly lay out the expectation and the great help available to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your many blessings given to us in life. Lord, often we approach your word and see your expectation of us and we are crushed under the weight of it. Much of that is by your wise design. 
so that we feel the impotence of our own ability, of our own strength, of our own knowledge, and we cast our look and our gaze upon you for help. So, Lord, help us to be obedient to the Scriptures. Give us the help that we need. Place within our heart the convictions that we need. Lord, give us grace. Grace upon grace and more grace on top of that. Father, help us when we misstep, when we misspeak, when we do things that are the very opposite and contrary to the things we've looked at this morning. Lord, intervene on our behalf and on behalf of our children. Father, we pray. We, we submit every one of them to you. And we ask you, O oh God, with all earnestness, with all zeal, we ask you, O oh God, please, save our children. Bring them to faith in Christ. Show them the way of real and abundant life. Do for them what we cannot do. Show them things that we cannot show them. Open their hearts in ways that we cannot. Cause them, Lord, to look over and past all of our failings, all of our harsh words, all of our actions that have not matched the things that we have said. Lord, work through all of those and accomplish your purposes. And then we will be quick and ready and humbled to give you the praise that you so rightfully deserve. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.